The Duke's Mayo Bowl, a bowl game West Virginia was not even expected to be in, but fortunately, they've landed there. And I'm going to bring on a source from North Carolina, and we're going to talk about this game. We're going to break down, talk about different positions, different players, who's in, who's out, all kinds of different topics right after this word from our sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is brought to you by Dutch Miller Automotive, where friends and family pricing means you get the best deal right up front on any new or pre-loved vehicle in stock every time. With brands like Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, Kia, Hyundai, Ford, GMC, Buick, and Subaru, the Dutch Miller Automotive family is always growing and ready to put you in the car or truck you've been searching for. Check out our inventory across West Virginia at DutchMillerAuto.com or come in today to the home of friends and family pricing only at a Dutch Miller Automotive store near you. What is up, college sports fans, Big 12 fans, and fellow members of Mountaineer Nation? Welcome into another edition of Coos's Corner. Belly yourself up to the bar and let me pour you out a shot of top shelf college football content on tap today. We are previewing the Duke's Mayo Bowl between the West Virginia Mountaineers and the North Carolina Tar Heels. And I've got a special guest on to break this down for me from Hill Illustrated, none other than Mr. Andrew Jones. Andrew, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. I know you're a busy guy. So uh, real quick, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, uh, tell us real quick where we can find your work. Uh, TarHillIllustrate.com. We're in the Rivals Network, uh, part of Yahoo Sports, uh, at Heel Illustrated on Twitter. And we're very prolific on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel called Tar Heel Illustrated. We run a lot of stuff. Um, we have daily drops. We do all the press conferences. We have a lot of different shows that we run. So uh, we go where the Tar Heels go. So anybody that's interested in UNC, you're going to get coverage on site wherever they go in football and basketball. Awesome, Andrew. So go check out Heel, go check out Andrew at Heel Illustrated on X, Twitter, whatever you call it these days. Yeah, I still check call it Twitter. His, I do too. I, I go back and forth, man. I want to call it X, but it just doesn't sound right. You know, it just it doesn't roll doesn't off the tongue the same, right you know. So, uh, but check out his work on YouTube. That's actually how I found him. Uh, him and his partner uh, was was on a post game show that they were doing. So, I appreciate him taking time out of his day to join us here. Uh, let's dig right in, Andrew. First of all, I know that the Duke's Mayo Bowl is a game that's typically between an ACC team and an SEC team. So, how surprised were North Carolina Tar Heel fans when they found out they were playing West Virginia in this game and? Uh, do you think there was a little bit of disappointment that they weren't playing an SEC team, or do you think it's excitement because they know West Virginia's a regional opponent? So what what was the mood around the North Carolina fan base when they found out West Virginia was their opponent for this game? i got to be honest with you. The mood has been so sour for a while now that it didn't really matter who they were going to play. They figured they're going to lose to whoever they're going to play right now. They wow. they lost four of their last five ACC mm-hmm. games. They were 6-0, number 10 in the country. Right. And they looked the part. They were good. And they were doing kind of everything well, and they just fell off a cliff. Just like last year, they were 9-1 and one last year, ranked 13th in the country, and then they lost their last four games. So I, I think that right now the opponent, the only thing about the opponent that really uh, has grabbed anybody's attention is the fact that West Virginia is the number three rushing attack in the country, and Carolina doesn't stop the run very well. So it just kind of fuels the negativity. Now, I think as we get closer to the game and people are – learning more about the Mountaineers. And I ran something uh, yesterday, the fact that these two schools only played twice before in football, which is amazing. Yeah, it is. You think about it. And they've both been bowl games. They were in the same conference together. They were in the Southern Conference for three years together and didn't meet. 
back mm-hmm. in the early 50s. Virginia is a school that a lot of Carolina fans, a lot of ACC fans think should have been the ACC for a long time when uh, the last expansion happened. West Virginia should be in this league, not the Big 12. Makes a lot more sense. And then there would be a little bit more uh, history between these schools. So I, I think more than anything, they're just so down on the team. We, we had Gene Chizik after practice on Monday, and I'm running his stuff, and he's talking about his future. And then he said a lot of really cool things about some freshmen they are going to play in the bowl game because of opt-outs. Nobody cares. They just want to bash Gene right now. So – We'll have to wait and see. Maybe next week when when the game arrives and people get lubed up a little bit because it's an evening game and and they start getting a little optimistic, maybe it'll matter a lot more then. But uh, I I think it's unfortunate that the opponent is not as important right now. I just think all the arrows are are pointed at North Carolina because they're not happy with with the way the season ended for the second straight year. Yeah, that's actually uh, the complete opposite to me uh, when you look at West Virginia because – we ended the year on a positive note with a win over Baylor. We're eight and four, seemed to be on the upward trajectory after four years of, of subpar play under Coach Brown. You know, he came into the season on the hot seat, as you probably know, coached his way off of that hot seat. We're eight and four, best record we've had in five years. Uh, they're recruiting well, they're getting guys out of the portal that we didn't expect to get. So it's the, the mood around West Virginia right now is actually surprisingly positive for the first time in, in several years. And then tickets are selling like hotcakes. It wouldn't surprise me, Andrew, if there are more West Virginia fans at this game than UNC fans. Oh, I guarantee you that'll be the case. But based on based on the uh, moods that you're talking about and then based on – Yeah, I just it, – it's – there's a, there's an – I'm not going to say there's a sense of entitlement with North Carolina fans because they're really good in almost every sport. Uh-huh. And people know them for basketball, but they win – soccer championships and field hockey stuff all the time, tennis, they win a lot of things and they have boosters that donate a ton of money to the other sports. They just build a massive tennis facility. I mean, they care about all these other things. It's they're in they're number two in the Sears cup standings right now. That's what's important there. It's all important, but they take a lot of pride in that. And I think football sometimes because it's so consistently disappointed, there's not great optimism. There's a hope but the hope is always tinted by uh, by by reality. They've the, in their history they've they have had so many seasons where they start out five and zero, six and zero, seven and zero, and then boom, they hit a wall. And 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 they they tease the fans into thinking maybe this is a year. And I I think that happened this year. And some of us in the media that cover the program, and people that have been around the program for a long time from a non media uh, perspective, actually thought that this would be different because they were. They were good defensively. They were running the ball. They got Drake May. Uh, it looked like there was great connection between the coaching staff and the team. They were they were crossing their T's and dotting their I's. And then Virginia showed up. Virginia, a horrible team, and they came in there and took it to them. And they haven't been the same team since. They haven't recovered. Last year, same thing happened. Georgia Tech with an interim coach and a third-string quarterback comes in, Chapel Hill, and beats them. Their best, their best player outside of Drake May drops a touchdown pass to the end zone wide open. They lose. They never recovered. So I think people are concerned about the program and the leadership in the program because it's two straight years that they weren't able to overcome their own self-created adversity. So because of that, that's more the focus than a game. Some people are like, I don't know if I want to see these guys play again. 
But I guarantee wow. you, though, when 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 game day shows up, people will be interested. Right. But we're also in a culture now too, which I know you can you can understand because of the climate around Neil Brown before the season started. The the loudest people are the ones who are unhappiest. Right. So the ones who maybe don't share this belief, they're not going to boast about, oh, I love Mac. Mac's the guy for the future. Gene Chizik, give him more time because they're going to get crushed and shouted down on social media platforms. They just don't do it. It's the angry ones who are the loudest. But we have a lot of fairly rational subscribers on our, on our site, and they have been fairly respectful about their discourse over the years. And they're not happy. It's There's been some pretty venomous stuff the last couple of months. And I find it fascinating because behind all this stuff is the reality that in the two years before Mac Brown arrived, Carolina won five total games. Two were against FCS, and one was against a transitional in Old Dominion. Mm-hmm. So they forget quickly. Right. And if they win, if they beat West Virginia, it'll be the second straight year with nine wins. They hadn't done that since the last time Mac Brown was at North Carolina. So – People forget quickly, and that's what our job is. I've all, I, I was jokingly telling somebody the other day, my job is when fans are so excited and they think the team is great, they're going to win a national title or whatever, and whatever sport, push them toward the ledge a little bit. Give them a little dose of reality, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when they're on the ledge, you got to pull them back. Yeah. I did a podcast yesterday about Gene Chizik. said, okay, you guys are all hammering him. You don't like what he said when we were interviewing him yesterday. But here's some clear areas in which the defense has progressed from a year ago. And people don't want to hear that. Some do, but a lot of people don't want to hear it. So I actually think this is fascinating. The question you're asking is fascinating because I can't give you an answer that would sound great for West Virginia fans like, boy, North Carolina can't wait to play WVU. Guys like me remember Major Harris Mm -hmm. and Don Neal and all this. We, We remember West Virginia football in the 80s and 90s, the Eastern football and all that stuff. Now, people aren't looking at it that way. They're so angry about their program. That's yeah. their focus. And I think a lot of a lot of sports fans are like that now, especially in college sports because the kids make money. So I think people feel a little less inhibited about um, going after college kids, being critical yeah. of college kids, because a lot of them are making more money than we are. Right. Yeah. I, I see it as well. I mean, I'm on social media all the time, and I see it uh, a lot. And, and I've been guilty of it in the past. I'm not going to lie. But uh, now that I have a, a more of a platform, I've, I've kind of backed off on that because I realize it doesn't help anybody at the end of the day. You're not helping the student athlete. You're not helping the program. You're not helping anybody by, by going after these young men or, or young ladies in some cases. So, yeah, I think constructive criticism. That's one of the things I love about what I do, because I have no emotional yeah. attachment to what happens. Right. If, if they beat West Virginia by 30, they lose by 30. I'm going to have the same personal vibe because it won't matter to me. What will matter to me is how I do my job, right? covering what happened, telling them what happened, then giving perspective about what happened. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you know, we're in positions where we say things people don't want to hear. Like when I was rolling off some of the positive gene stats yesterday, mm-hmm. or we're in a position where we kind of fuel the fire because sometimes it's obvious what you have to say. Um, and, and the other part of that too, is that, I think our readers and our viewers know this is where we come from. And I always tell new coaches when they come in, hey, you know, they, how are you going to cover us? Well, you determine what I write. You determine what I say. Whatever you guys do on the field or on the court, that's what I write about. And that's what I talk about. 
I don't create things. I don't create narratives. I look at it and I say, okay, you guys got out rebounded by 10. I'm going to write about you getting out rebounded by 10. If you guys give up 350 rushing yards or Georgia Tech had 246 in the fourth quarter against them mm-hmm. a couple months ago. Damn well, no, I'm going to write about that. And I'm going to pummel you for it because it's your job to not give up 240 rushing yards in a quarter. So I think if you're consistent in that way in our job, I think we te- I, I, I tend to get pretty genuine responses from people. I kind of know where they are with respect to the how they feel about the team by and large. The people that don't want to deal with reality, you can sense them out pretty quickly. The ones who really do want to parse through reality, even if they're still upset, I think there's a little bit more genuine nature that comes from them. And that's why I'm going back to what I said earlier. The people like that are not happy. The ones that I've talked to, the ones that usually don't complain are complaining. They're not happy and they want answers. They want changes. I'm not saying they want Mac to leave. They just want everything to be better. Right. Like most fans. Totally understand. I mean, that's where our fan base was for a couple of years. Um, let's let's dive more into the game now. I know, sure. obviously, Drake May's out. He's already announced he's going to focus on on the draft. He's opting out. So tell me about this. You know, with West Virginia fans, it's a mixed bag, really, because on one hand, you want to beat a team at their best, right? But on the other hand, you want to win the game. <laughs> and yeah. – uh, with Drake May in there, our, our weak, our biggest weak, West Virginia's biggest weakness is the secondary and pass pass defense. And there was a risk if Drake May played, he was going to pick that secondary apart. Um, so now that Connor Harrell, I assume, is going to be playing, is that an accurate assumption? Yeah, yeah, he's going to be the starter. I looked; he hasn't thrown a lot of passes in his career. No. Um, what what can West Virginia fans expect with Connor Harrell at quarterback? Is it going to be a run run first run heavy offense? Is it going to be you know can he throw the football effectively? What do you think? Well, there are a couple of things about him that intrigue me to see what he does. I like newness, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he handles things. A um, couple of bullet points on him: he was valedictorian in high school, National Honor Society, really smart kid. Led his school to two straight a high-level state championships in Alabama. It's pretty good football there. Mm-hmm. He's a very competitive kid. He's a very regimented, daily routine kid who sticks to his faith. He, he even told us that last week he makes his bed every morning. He's one of those kind of kids. Yeah, Really good student. Told us that his toughest final exam was geology, and then he started telling us why. A lot of kids don't do that. Right. He's just got a different little – Little, little thing to him that some of the other athletes we deal with don't really have. That said, um, we're told he has a really good arm. I've seen him in practice. I've seen him in spring games. I see an okay arm. Haven't seen him air it out much, really. He is very fast. He's very quick. He's very shifty. But the problem with him in this game, if they're going to change what they do a little bit more run-oriented, which I think they're going to do moving forward as a program, is they don't have any tight ends. And if you're going to run the ball, you got to have tight ends to block. All three of their tight ends are out. Wow. One of them already transferred to Boston College. The other two are injured. The two that are injured are both going to play in the NFL. One of them would get drafted probably fourth round or higher this year if he went out. He still may go out. We don't know. So they're going to have a redshirt walk-on freshman start at tight end. 
and they're a 12 personnel, 13 personnel team. So they're telling us, well, we're running the playbook, but you can't possibly run it. If you don't have that, you can't run that package. So I think there'll be some option stuff, a lot of power running with Amari Hampton. I think they're going to go ball control and they'll pick and choose when Connor passes. So if West Virginia can stop the inside runs with Amari Hampton, who is outstanding and will play in the NFL one day, then they force Connor Hill to throw and I'll play right into West Virginia's hands because he's been really inconsistent since he arrived. He even admitted last week, consistency has been his problem. Yeah. And we've heard publicly and we've heard off the record behind the scenes that consistency was a real issue. That's one of the reasons why they already went out and got a quarterback in the portal. Yeah. So this is his game, but they went and got Max Johnson from Texas A&M in the portal. Mm-hmm. So this is his game. It's an opportunity to show something he can do, but the odds are not good that he'll be the starter next year. So that's kind of what they're taking to the field next week in Charlotte. Yeah. Well, West Virginia, to make Tar Heel fans feel a little bit better, West Virginia does not normally do well against running quarterbacks. They have a tendency to struggle there. Um, our starting nose tackle has entered the portal and transferred to uh, SMU, so he was not, he's not going to be playing. But West Virginia's defensive line is the deepest position on the football team. They, they go nine, ten guys deep up front. So don't think there will be much of a step back at nose tackle, even without Mike Lockhart. For, we have Fatorma Mulba, who transferred in from Penn State in the offseason, who, who's real good up front, especially in runs, run, run stopping. And then we have uh, Hammond Russell, who's another one. So I think we're going to be okay. And our linebackers, we do have a true freshman linebacker, Ben Cutter, who's kind of had to, unfortunately, uh, get thrown to the fire this year because of injuries. But he's got several games of experience now, and then we've got obviously Lee Koba, who's our veteran, our senior veteran, who's going to lead that charge at the linebacker spot, as leading tackler. So Lee Koba and Ben Cutter uh, are going to be big in this game, I think. If if uh, you know North Carolina is going to be running the football a lot, so which it sounds like they will, because the guy you mentioned, Omari and Hampton, the guys he ran for over fourteen hundred yards. Uh, tell yeah. us about Omari and tell West Virginia fans about Omari and Hampton. Well, he gets to the second level quickly, and he's strong. He's 230 pounds. He runs 240. He's, mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that falls forward. Uh, but he's become very shifty. He was a very, very highly recruited kid. He was a rival's top 100, top 120 kid. And last year, he had an issue as a true freshman where he was so used to getting the ball in high school and just running people over that he, he had no idea how to hit holes, mm-hmm. how to read blocks. And in the zone stuff, you got to do some reading. And in the design stuff, you got to know what hole to hit. You got to hit it. You got to mm-hmm. be dedicated to the hole or know when to bounce. And uh, excuse me, I've got a <coughs> I've got a cold. I'm trying to fight through here. No worries. Um, I feel like I'm trying to tackle Marion Hampton. Um, <laughs> but he's very good at getting the second level. Lots of lots of yards after the contact. Uh, he's a guy that can get through the second level. He has. Four runs at 45 yards or more, I think, this year. A couple in the 60s. Connor Hill had a 60-yard run for a touchdown in, in, in a reserve role one game as well. Um, he's really good. He can run outside. He can run inside. Physical. He can catch the ball. He caught eight passes in a game. So, oh, he's a real deal. They had mm-hmm. a couple really – they have three running backs from the last few years that are in the NFL right now, and he's the best of that group. So wow. if he, he's only a second-year kid, if he could go this yeah. year, he'd get drafted pretty high. So some people are actually surprised he's playing the pole game, which is 
a different conversation for a different day. If you're coming back next year, I don't know why you wouldn't play. But right, right, right. Yeah. Things are getting so crazy with bowls. You, you never know. But he, he is excellent. But they, they are going to be without their center, Corey Gaynor, who is preparing for the NFL draft. But they moved over Willie Lampkin from guard. He was at Coastal last year in 22, and he was the Sunbelt Conference Offensive Lineman of the Year playing center at Coastal. The previous two years, he was all-conference at guard. He got one of those years back, so he gets two years at North Carolina, and he was a guard this year. I thought he was their best offensive lineman, so they move him over to center, but that just means they have a, a void to fill at guard. And when you run the ball inside, most of their – their, their the most consistent running is from between the guards, not so much between the tackles, but between the guards. Uh, that'll be interesting to see if they can have success in uh, running over the right guard, which I guess is what he's going to re- replace. And they're still kind of dealing with whoever's going to have that job. Right. Um, Tez Walker, he also is opted out of the game, right? Yeah, Who, don't mind me if I take a sip of something here. I, no problem. It's You're good. I do it all the time. Um, who was the receiver? Without I get it. Walker? I get Diet Dr Pepper sponsor for you. There you go. There you go. Diet Dr Pepper. <laughs> if you're paying attention, yeah, send me some money. I'll, I'll gladly take it. But uh, absolutely. <laughs> with Tez Walker being out, who's who's the receivers or receiver or receivers that West Virginia fans need to be on the lookout for? Well, they also lost Andre Green and Doc Chapman, two Virginia kids. Andre Green was borderline five star. who struggled running routes. Uh, they both hit the portal as well, so that room is thin. Mm. But they're getting Kobe Pesor back. He was injured in the Syracuse game, the fifth game of the year. He's really good. I think I, I think he's probably their best receiver this year. Tez, maybe. I really like Kobe Pesor. Uh, they went four and four, by the way, with Tez Walker, just for the record. Right. So <laughs> people that they made such a big deal about Tez Walker, and I'm not saying it's Tez's deal, but they. They went through all those hoops to get them on the field, and they go four and four with them. They were five and zero oh in games Kobe Pesor played. Yeah. So I like Kobe. I think he's he's a guy that could play outside. He could play slot. He's a physical runner, but he's very athletic. Uh, he's not a guy that drops the ball much. And Nate McCollum was having was off to a great start this year. He was a transfer from Georgia Tech, and then he got banged up. It was really inconsistent the rest of the year. He had a lot of drops, which he had more drops this year than he had in his career prior. He came in from from Georgia Tech where he had a pretty good couple of seasons, and he wasn't dropping the ball there, but he dropped it this year, and part of it was because he was banged up. They say that he's healthy. Their passing attack was having really talented tight ends and having enough receivers that could get open. They're minus a couple of guys now because Doc Chapman was coming on at receiver Mm -hmm. and not having Tez is going to stand out, but I think they're going to be okay at receiver. They have some young kids that they're going to thrust in there and see what they can do, but I don't think they're going to throw the ball 30 times. Right. I think if they're in the 18 to 20, yeah, they're in the 18 to 20 range and they're consistently running the ball. I think they're going to run. I think they're going to give a, there's going to be a lot of Amari Hampton. There's going to be some British Brooks and there's going to be some Caleb hood and there's going to, they're going to run a lot of power stuff, almost like this old option dive plays. And sometimes Connor Harrell's going to keep it and just, try to cook around the corner and see what he can get. I, I think they're going to go very elementary offensively to, to utilize what they have because I don't think they can run 
the game one through game 12 offense with what they have. It's not just Connor. It's the other things that they're missing right now. So I think they'll be fairly basic. And if they have success with that, they'll probably keep the ball a lot and they'll keep the defense off the field, which has been a, a source of contention for a lot of people. NC State had the ball for 40 minutes. 40. 4-0, wow. colon, 0-0. Holy cow. So, yes, that's why I think that they're shifting now into what they're going to be next year under Max Johnson. They're going to be more control-oriented on offense, not going to be gunslinger quarterbacks as mm-hmm. much yeah. as, as they have been. Yeah, and I, I, that makes me wonder. Uh, it almost sounds like that's playing into the hands of, of West Virginia because, I mean, West Virginia, I said they haven't – they don't stop the pass very well, but they do have – they do have a good – uh, corner in Beanie Bishop, who was a consensus All American at West yeah. Virginia, uh, only the 13th in school history, actually. So he's been a huge pickup. He came over out of the transfer portal uh, for Minnesota in the offseason, but he's been a big, big pickup for him. And, uh, but it doesn't sound like he's going to get a lot of action in this game. Where, where West Virginia has really struggled in, struggled in coverage has been the safeties position. Their safeties and linebackers have struggled in coverage this year more, more so than their corners have. But w- without the UNC tight ends that you're talk- talking about and without some of these receivers, you know, I'm, maybe they won't be as challenged as they would have been otherwise, you know. So it, and we don't and West Virginia also has less less guys opting out. It sounds like we do have, like I said, we lost Lockhart to the portal. We, uh, they lost Benny, uh, Hershey McLaurin, a safety to the portal. But other than that, most of the guys they lost were guys who didn't didn't play a whole lot. So. Sounds like UNC took a took a much more of a beating uh, as far as opt outs and, and guys going to the portal than what West Virginia has, at least up yeah, to this more point, so. more guys going pro because they have a lot right. of NFL prospects. A lot right. of them are not going to play. As far as guys that went to the portal, they lost a few that I think that they would like to have, but they also have some injuries. The two tight ends that are not going to play are injured, and Elijah Hussey is one of their best mm-hmm. defensive players. Uh, he's unable to play either. So they're going to have a true freshman start at the star position, which is they call nickel star. They're going to have right. a true freshman start at one of the linebackers because Cedric Gray, who's an All-American, is is opted out because he, he's preparing for the draft. Um, he, could be a, he could be a late first-round pick, second-round pick. And they have another true freshman, Trey Miller, is going to play a lot at corner because they just have – like all their stars and corners are out or they've, or they've transferred. So – or they're injured or they've transferred. So they're going to be very young. They're going to have three true freshmen play a lot. And the kid that's going to play star and the kid's going to play a lot at corner combined and played 45 snaps this year. Wow. And the linebacker, Amari Campbell, who they gush about all the time, still only played 70 snaps. So there's going to be opportunity. North Carolina struggles with running quarterbacks. And I know that Garrett Green mm-hmm. is is one of their better runners, and he's also improved some of his passer. They have issues sometimes with the short passing game. They give up. They give a lot of room, so they sort of allow the under stuff. And then if they don't tackle well, six yard play turns into twelve to fifteen yards, and that that's been one of the problems the last half of the season. Now you're going to have a freshman linebacker, a freshman star, and a freshman corner. That just kind of spells disaster when when mm-hmm. you look at it on paper. Yeah, that uh, good segue because I wanted to cover the other side of the ball anyway. Garrett has actually struggled some this year. He's he's gotten better the last couple of games, but he struggled a lot this year uh, with the short and intermediate stuff. What Neil Brown calls the layups, he really struggled mm-hmm. to complete those layups. Uh, now he could hit the he could hit the deep ball a lot at about a fifty percent clip at least, but he was struggling on some of the shorter stuff. So that might 
benefit UNC a little bit. But again, if they're out, if they have that many guys, you know, playing as freshmen, it may not may not matter. Uh, I guess it'll all depend on. But one thing Neil Brown mentioned in his presser yesterday or, or earlier in the week that uh, that stood out to me that I've never really heard a coach talk about, at least not recently, is when you have these guys who are having a chance to step up and play that don't usually get a chance, they're going to be excited. They're going to be yeah. – you know, you, we hear all the time about in bowl games the guys may not want to play. These guys want to play because they've got something to prove, right? They're working for their – they're trying to earn a spot on next year's starting lineup or next year's too deep. And that's – maybe maybe these UNC guys, these young guys, will show up and, and ball out for UNC. You never know. Yeah, I have a podcast I'm rolling out on Thursday, one of my daily drops, about that, about these young kids that are playing. And, like, look, a lot of fans – and I'm I, and I'm on that side of the aisle now where I'm thinking maybe bowl games aren't necessary anymore. I actually did a podcast last week where I said, let's start the next season with bowl games. Hmm. Let, let's, let's, like, draft the bowl games in February, a couple of days after the Super Bowl, have a big day where college football celebrated – those are the games you start the next season with. The teams that don't get selected for bowls can then play each other. They decide who's going to play. You, you play a 13-game schedule. You get rid of the bowls, only get the playoff, and that's it. And that way guys can't opt out, right? Well, I, I think at least if we still have them, the intrigue of watching these young guys play, seeing young kids get a lot of stuff on film that will help them in the next several months before they go into spring practice and on. Yep really helps the next year's team a lot. And that's, that's where the value in a lot of this comes from. And, and Neil Brown's right that if you have enough of them like that, you're going to have an insert team. A lot of times bowl games just depend, the outcome depends on what team wants to be there and what team doesn't. Right. North Carolina was in this bowl game two years ago against South Carolina and had no interest in it. Mm-hmm. Mac Brown said he knew in the locker room they weren't ready. And sometimes as a coach, you're helpless. There's nothing you can do to get a, get a team ready. This year's club, because they have the memory of that, and because there's a lot of young, uh, vibrant, highly talented, but you know, wanting to prove themselves kind of kids that are going to get opportunities to play, I think there's going to be more want on the North Carolina side this time than there was a year ago. Last year, they went out to the Holiday Bowl and played Oregon, and there was a lot of want. They had a lot of guys off, and they played a lot of young dudes, and they nearly beat if they, if Their kicker doesn't miss a field goal. In the fourth quarter, they beat all. They beat Oregon, mm-hmm. so they they. I think that there's going to be a different level of want there, and that's the one thing I do. If, if is covering a team, I find very interesting that I'm going to get to see guys play that I've heard about, and we covered them in the recruitment and everything. Now we get to see a product on the field, which will add mm-hmm. some of the intrigue to how we cover the game, just in simply watching the game. And I think diehard fans too can find it exciting if you've got a certain certain kid that you've been clamoring to get see on the field or whatever. Uh, when they, you know, if you follow recruiting or whatever, like you said, I think it gives fans an opportunity to do the same thing, you know? Yeah. Um, no doubt. Sticking to the offensive side of the ball, obviously you and I were talking off air about, you know, CJ Donaldson, West Virginia starting running back is going to be out for this game. He suffered an injury in one of the last games of the season. He had to have surgery on a, on a, on a thank you. I don't know for sure what it was. I, I think it was a torn labrum, but uh, is what's what I'm being told. But I don't know that Neil ever officially announced that. But he did have an injury, and uh, he chose. Neil thought it'd be best for him not to play. You know, he said he could play, but he wouldn't be 100. percent And he just felt like the recovery time would be more beneficial for him than than playing in a game. 
So he's going to uh, set him out. But Jaheim, we have Jaheim White, the, the freshman phenom, who really supplanted C.J. as a starter anyway later in the season. Uh, he was the second-leading rusher on the team. I don't know if, if you've ever had a chance to see him play, but he's he's a very exciting guy with the ball in his hands. A lot of fun to watch. Very shifty. He's about five foot seven. Uh, kind of reminds you a little bit of Deuce Vaughn. Has a little bit of that Deuce Vaughn look to him, the way he plays. Not going to say he's Deuce Vaughn yet. That's 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 a uh, tough comparison to make this early in his career, but I do think he has that kind of potential. Uh, and then we're going to see a, a guy named DJ Oliver who is a redshirt freshman. Uh, you know, redshirts don't count against guys now, so or the yeah. game doesn't count towards a redshirt. So we're going to see him in this game uh, because another backup running back, Justin Johnson, entered the transfer portal. So. Speaking of young players, West Virginia fans are going to get to see D.J. Oliver and what he brings, who basically is a somewhat of a replica of C.J. Donaldson. He's a big kid that can run, but he, he's more of a downhill runner that can run over people, kind of that same mold. So he and he and Jaheim White together is kind of a thunder-lightning duo, just the same with C.J. and Jaheim were. So that's going to be interesting to see. And as you mentioned, West Virginia's run defense, one of the tops in the nation. So it'll be interesting to see if if uh, UNC's run defense is up to the task in this game. Even with CJ out, I still like West Virginia's ability to run the football, especially with Garrett at quarterback. Because, like you mentioned, he's a, he's a great runner in his own right. Uh, our center, our All American center, Zach Frazier, is out. He's also suffered an injury. He's going to be getting ready for the draft, recovering from an injury as well. Uh, what does North Carolina look look like up front for this game on the defensive front? Uh, they have some experience, but it's experience that's had mixed results. They've had some kids uh, like Tez Evans, a defensive end, who was uh, one of the top defensive ends in his recruiting class, came in and very raw. You could see all the natural gifts there, mm-hmm. and he's kind of morphed into becoming a football player, looking like a football player and everything. And he played well first half of the year, struggled the second half. There's a lot of guys I can say that about. Uh, Tamari Fox, whose brother – I think it's still with the New York Jet, New York Giants, uh, Tamon Fox. He's a guy that has given them a little bit of stability up front, but he's kind of got a ceiling that's around here, and he'll play at that ceiling a lot, but it doesn't go above that very often. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Hester's a senior who was a basketball player in high school. He actually had never played football before, and he's from South Carolina. They have spring practice in South Carolina, and uh, he was talked into going out – football team and i think it was his fifth spring practice boston college offered him wow and then florida state offered and then offered and he played one year high school football when he got to unc and he's a basketball player he's got good footwork and he's a guy that continues to grow and develop in fact he's one of those dudes that he comes through and isn't great in college but you could see him get better and next thing you know he's in the nfl for seven years yeah you see guys like that come along a lot because it's it's different when they get their opportunity at the next level. And he, he's someone that has that kind of raw talent, but it's still being tapped. I don't think we've really seen the best of him yet. And because of that, he's been kind of wobbly as a player. So um, they have a kid named Bo Atkinson, who's a redshirt freshman. I think he's their best pass. Well, second best pass rusher, Cameron Rucker, who plays Jack, which is like an outside linebacker spot, but he also is a ru- edge rusher. He's their best pass rusher, but, but Atkinson's really good. He's a long kid. Uh, he was a tight end in high school. He's got the footwork. He's got all the tools. He's got he, he's 
crafted like a dude that has a shot to play at the next level. But he's still young, and he gets about 25 snaps a game. I think he should get more, but you got a lot of older guys in front of him, so mm-hmm. they're going to get the reps. It's a defensive front that at times has been pretty good, but more often than that, they have been average to less than average. And I, I just think that when you start thinking about why North Carolina fell off the not rocket science. They, they don't protect the passer well. Drake got hit a lot. Um, the defensive front doesn't get enough pressure. They they did increase their sack numbers. They did increase their TFL numbers from a year ago. They did increase the number of hurries. But, you know, if you're 450 pounds and you lose 50 pounds, you're like, man, I lost 50 pounds, but you're still 400 pounds. And I'm not I'm, – I'm, I'm a heavy guy, so I'm not make, make casting any spurs. I'm making a point. You're still heavy. You still mm-hmm. got a lot of weight to lose. So Carolina was so bad defensively in 22 that they made strides in certain areas that are noticeable and they're considerable, and they should they should be pointed out, but they still have a long way to go. When you go from, I don't know, they were number 114 in pass efficiency defense last season to number like 70 or something this year. Okay, that's great, but you're still number 70. When your right. aspirations are to play in the CFP or to win an ACC title, which was their stated mission, and it was justified enough that they should be covered that way, and you're not anywhere close to those numbers, that means you fell way short. And I think there are too many aspects up front defensively and in other pockets of the defense that fell short. They were very strong at linebacker. Cedric Gray is a phenomenal college player. one of the best college linebackers I've ever covered. And they were good at corner for a while. Uh, but injuries, they didn't have great depth behind some of those spots, mm-hmm. and it showed. And now we're really going to see what some of the depth looks like in some of those spots. Right. Makes sense. Sounds like North Carolina's had some of the, a lot of similar struggles that West Virginia's had in the last few years uh, with injuries, lack of depth at some spots, things like that. That's West Virginia's dealt with the exact same thing, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I, I um, think it's everywhere. Oh, I'm sorry. I think it's everywhere in college football because they yeah. don't hit enough anymore. They don't practice enough. They don't do the two-a-days. They don't hit enough. Mm-hmm. Coaches are afraid to hit they don't want guys getting hurt. Some coaches have moved up to spring practice so they get the spring game out of the way. So if a guy gets hurt, he's got a few extra weeks to get healthy. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think they need to hit more. It's like baseball, these stupid pitch counts. If a guy's throwing 85 pitches, he's never going to get stronger to throw more than 85 pitches. Right. You know, the guy's – I hate to sound old school, but I think the more you pitch, not overdoing it so much, but four-day four day, uh Rotation, throw 115 pitches, you're going to be strong. Right. I think in football, you need to hit. You need to hit. Agreed. You just can't go finesse and drills. You got to hit. Agreed. Because the game is not finesse and drills. It's hitting. Because no matter what era we are in, as far as the spread offenses and the options and the West Coast offense and whatever, the air raid, whatever people want to call this stuff, the game is still won and lost in the trenches. Absolutely. You can have. You can scheme the crap out of things defensively, but if you're getting whipped up front, none of the scheme doesn't matter. Doesn't mean a damn thing. Got to you got to play physical. You got to hit, and yep. I think that's why West Virginia and North Carolina and so many other schools are having those issues because yep. unless they load up on talent like some of the big like some of the bigger programs, the best ones, and the they are, um, you're not going to have the depth to make up for that because the attrition accrues during the course of the season. And that's hurt North Carolina. Part of why North Carolina struggled and fallen off a cliff the last couple of years. It's not yeah. the main reason why, but it's it's one of several boxes that can be checked. 
I totally agree. And uh, Neil Brown actually made a made a point this year. He talked about it multiple times. They made a point. Their defense was atrocious last year, and mm-hmm. he, he made they made a point uh, to tackle more in spring. They tackled more in fall camp, and they even tackled more during the season than they did a year ago. Now their defense still didn't set the world on fire, but they were better. They did improve. Yeah, uh, and I think. You know, I think he realizes now going forward, I, we've got to be more physical because if we don't, you know, we we're, they're going to miss too many tackles. The guys just can't tackle when, I, when they don't do it at practice. When I, when I first got in this business, I remember teams used to hit on Tuesdays. When I played in mm-hmm. high school, we used to hit on Tuesdays, and we had Friday game, and we would hit. We would mm-hmm. hit like it was a game on Tuesdays, and colleges were the same way. You go yeah. to a Chuckamoto football practice at NC State in 2001 on a Tuesday, they're hitting. Yeah. They're popping. They get right. the game plan, they, they install the game plan, and then they pop. Yep. And teams don't do that as much now. Yep. They also don't give us the same access to see it. So we don't know if they are or not. We just go right. by what they tell us, and they're not hitting. And then you can, right. you can see it on Saturday. Absolutely. All right, Andrew. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't – if I let you go before asking you a question about conference realignment, North Carolina's name keeps popping up as a potential, as one of the potential teams that could try to get out of the ACC granted rights. Number one, do you think the ACC grant of rights is breakable? And do you, do you foresee any team getting out of it? And two, as far as UNC specifically, if it happens, do you think UNC lands in the SEC or the Big Ten? Well, I'll play with the hypothetical that you just asked last there first. Okay. I know that there's two schools of thought at UNC. There's the academic side, the, the elitist side that would rather be in the big 10 because of the universities, the AAU universities. And I think that they would view that as the table that they would want to sit at when they do their elitist academic stuff. Everybody else, the boosters, the athletic people would want the SEC. It's more fun. Right. And who wants to, as, as one person who's extremely important in Chapel Hill told me a couple months ago, who wants to go to a road game in Bloomington, Indiana in November or in Iowa City? Wouldn't you rather go to Oxford, Mississippi, College Station, Texas? The answer is yes. So if it ever came down to having to make that decision or, or given that option, I think ultimately the money would win because money always wins and the money comes from the boosters because without them, there is no college sports as we see it. Mm-hmm. So they would, they would go SEC. That being said, if the grant of rights was breakable, someone would have broken it by now. It's not breakable. They've tried. A lot of the, even the schools that are not, you know, pining to get out because mm-hmm. they kind of like their situation if you're Boston College and Wake Forest and you give nothing to the pot, right. but the pot gives back to you, and they're literally black holes. They bring nothing to the table financially. Mm-hmm. You're like, hey, this is great, but they've looked into it as well. Every school has. But the Florida States and the Clemsons and North Carolinas and Miamis and Virginias have looked very hard, and they haven't fi- found that loophole. The one way out would be, to simply buy your way out, which means you, you would forfeit all of your TV revenue in your new league. Not what you would have made in the ACC, but in your new league, mm-hmm. all that would go back to the league. Right. So essentially, you'd have right now, if you think about what 
of Florida State would make in the Big Ten through 2036. You add that up, you add the exit fee, and you're looking at a billion dollars. No one's got no one's gonna pay that to get out. It's just not gonna happen. Doesn't make any sense to do that. And it's not exactly like there are schools in the league with offers from these other conferences. I keep every time I see somebody say something about Florida State and Clemson are going to the SEC, the SEC doesn't really have any use for them. Greg Sankey's pretty cool at, at 16 right now. That's a good 16. And yeah. why would he add to a footprint that already exists? If they ever add, they want North Carolina and Virginia. Yeah. Because they still keep their footprint below the Mason-Dixon line. They keep that culture, which is so important in that league. And those are two schools that would be very desirable. North Carolina is very desirable. It's a brand. There are not right. many schools out there that when you turn on the TV, you immediately know who it is. But they're one of them. Absolutely. So they would be coveted by both leagues because of that. And they're pretty good. And they got a lot of money. So as far as the league, I think that there are a lot of discussions that have gone on about options. There are a lot of people that are not happy about the Stanford and Cal. Right. Them, you kind of make some sense because they're willing to pony up and they're committed. We've heard some chirping lately from Toledo who kind of wants to become that kind of school. Interesting. Pony up with some money. Hmm. And not to the ACC, but just in general. Just in power, a power um, conference, yeah. Just, yeah, just, they, they, like if, if there's a separation of, of FBS, there's G5, mm-hmm. P5 type separation – Toledo would love to spend their way into that upper tier, right? Mm-hmm. Well, SMU's doing that now because they're not taking any revenue for seven years. Right. So the ACC's like, of course, but they're committed to winning, and at least they've proven that they've won in the past. There, There is an appetite for, for winning there. I don't think the right. appetite's there in Berkeley and Palo Alto. I've right. been there covering games in recent years. I don't think there's any appetite. I don't understand the idea of bringing them in other than desperation. That's what it looked like. Yeah. I, I think the league missed a chance in 2022 when the UCLA USC stuff happened. And then we already knew about Oklahoma. And they should have just gone after West Virginia. West Virginia and Central Florida would have made a lot more sense because it's ultimately about eyeballs. Get eyeballs on your stuff. If you get a third ACC team in the state of Florida, you can't say Florida is an SEC state. You can't. Yeah, so I think they made a mistake there. Yeah. I think the league is what it is for a while, and it's going to drop in quality next year because Stanford and Cal's $400 million in the hole in the athletic department. They're awful. They don't care. Yeah. Stanford, you think Stanford fans are going to be excited when Georgia Tech rolls into town? No. They'll yeah. think Duke coming to town's cool because they're like-minded people, but it, right. culturally it just doesn't make any sense. West Virginia, Central Florida, schools like that would have made a lot more sense. Yeah. So – to answer your question, grant of rights doesn't appear breakable, and the ACC appears intact as is for a while. But as we get closer to 2036, because I think you'll see some – Because of a different conversation. But I think that landscape's going to be different by then. Right. And the ACC will have a different commissioner because the commissioner right now is weak. He proved that with the whole CFP thing. He didn't fight for Florida State, which is just adding more fuel to their fire. Right. So they need to, they need, they need to get a commissioner in who when he walks into a room of other commissioners, he's not the weak link in there. You know, they need an alpha dog. Mm-hmm. And Jim Phillips is not that, and he's proven that in the last couple of years. They've missed some opportunities for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for that insight, Andrew. It's always good to get sure. uh, get an insight from someone who who's closer to the situation than, than myself, um, obviously. But 
One more time before we say bye, just tell everybody where they can find you and your work. Uh, TarHillIllustrated.com and on YouTube, TarHillIllustrated and Twitter at Hill Illustrated. You actually have it up there. It looks pretty good. I would compliment you. you on your graphics before. Your, your layover looks great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so for those of you listening on podcast platforms, it's at Hill, H-E-E-L, Illustrated, I-L-L-U-S-T-R-A-T-E-D. I'm sure you can spell that, but uh, go check out Andrew and his work. They do great. He and his partners over there at Rivals do a great job covering the Tar Heels, both whether it be on their website or whether it be on their podcasts and YouTube channels. But Andrew, thank you again, man, for, for coming on the show. I look forward to, to watching this game. I will be in Charlotte at the game watching as a fan. I'm looking forward to it. Should be an exciting game. Thanks. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. And we appreciate your support. Have a top shelf day and Q Country Roads. <laughs>